Hello, this is Corkscrew Convo's Another Theme Park Podcast. My name is Chris. And my name is DJ. And here we like to talk about roller coasters, theme parks, observation towers, barbecue, the theater, and everything else under the sun in its time. But first, DJ, would you please give us that disclaimer? The views, opinions, and information expressed during the following presentation are solely those of the individuals involved and do not represent organizations affiliated with those individuals. That's exactly right, and a great way to start our podcast. I do appreciate your contribution to the effort, DJ. Thank you very much. Let's get into it. It's our 13th episode. I'm really happy to have uh, started the 13th episode on such a happy note. Uh, For most, of course, 13. Very unlucky number. Uh, Perhaps it's lucky for us, though. Yeah, it's, uh, well, to pull back the curtain a little bit, we are starting out a little bit scatterbrained because I did put in the outline a new bit that I was going to do that I forgot to do, DJ, and that was looking up a roller coaster that opened in 1913. (laughs) Because it's our 13th episode, I wanted to mark it by mentioning maybe the history of a roller coaster that opened up in 1913, but I forgot to look it up. Scenic Railway. Just always go with Scenic Railway when it's an old coaster. You know, that's actually probably very likely. So (laughs) for this bit, this is the first time we're doing it for this episode. Uh, It is, oh, our 13th coaster that we're going to mention here is Scenic Railway. It opened at Whistle Stop Park in, oh, we're just going to make up this coaster. I'm I'm creating a lore (laughs) around it right now, actually. It already sounds convincing. Anything prior to 1920, we're just going to say Scenic Railway. The year was 1913. James T. Rockin Carnegie wanted to build a new way for his factory workers to enjoy their leisure time, (laughs) the little leisure time that he afforded them as employees of his iron factory. So he created Whistletown Park. And when it opened in 1913, they opened up this headlining attraction, the Scenic Railway. It had a manually operated brake system, no seat belts, no lap bars, but it was a ton of fun, and unfortunately it closed in 1929, for whatever reason. Just good, clean fun in an American park, conveniently located at the end of a railroad. Yes, that's always how it, well not always, but that's usually how it goes. So (laughs) that was the amalgamation of some truths and some embellishments for this bit but i think it was a strong start and a strong recovery and so moving forward in our 14th 15th 16th and whatever number the episode is let's try to have a coaster that opened in that corresponding year it's going to be pretty difficult until we maybe get to the 50s and maybe have some reliable coasters that we can pull from i think like you said there will be a lot of scenic railways out there (laughs) But uh, maybe when we get up to the 70s and the 80s, it'll get a little interesting. How does that sound, DJ? For now, we stick with scenic railways, leap the dips, cyclones, that sort of thing. Oh, yes. Now, speaking of cyclone, I had another experience this week that was uh, strange. Somewhat twisted, perhaps? Twisted. That's a better word for it. Twisted. And that was Pizza Wings at Buffalo Wild Wings. Oh, no. I love chicken wings. I don't think that's a secret to anyone. 
and I was curious about all these new flavors that Buffalo Wild Wings has. Mm. So I went and I ordered some takeout for pizza wings. <sighs> Don't get them, DJ. Don't try them. I mean, they I could have met. told you that. I think when I saw the announcement of that, just the name alone, I thought I don't need I don't need that. And then reading into it, I thought I definitely don't need that. Well, it was sort of like a little bit of Parmesan, a little bit of garlic, some tomato essence. Ugh. But bottom line, there are better flavors out there, so I never need to try it again because there are things like honey barbecue and the chipotle barbecue dry rub that i just love and so if i'm ever at wild wings or b-dubs as the kids call it these days i don't need pizza wings i don't need the pizza sauce (laughs) so to to me i'm pretty sure isn't it just the parmesan garlic wings and they decided to put some tomato powder on it isn't that all that wouldn't surprise me i mean that's pretty much what it tastes because the other the other two new flavors you had orange chicken i believe and then also a ghost pepper or carolina reaper yeah i i don't do well with the really spicy stuff so i haven't tried the spicier ones i have tried the orange chicken a few months ago and it was okay yeah again there are better sauces out there I was fortunate to try on Sunday evening, a couple days ago, uh, I had poltergeist wings at a, at a local place, and those were the hottest wings I've ever had to where your um, lips hurt. But I enjoy the wow. hot stuff. This was this was ghost pepper wings, appropriately called poltergeist. Very good. Well, Very speaking hot. of peppers, when I was in middle school on a dare, I bit into and swallowed a jalapeno pepper. Hmm. And it was too much very painful. No, it, it was very painful. Um, I survived, but hmm. at what cost? I mean, that took me out for the day. I was done. I love jalapenos. Yeah, I like them. I like to cook with them. I did a movie review with a friend, and he posted it online. You could probably find it on YouTube somewhere. Uh, we ate a raw jala- uh, habanero pepper before we did the review. And then we suffered for 15 minutes reviewing a movie. Always plug-in, this one is. Oh, <laughs> go to YouTube. Watch some of my content. Oh, I totally forgot that Ooh. even existed until Leave until a you review for Corkscrew <laughs> Convos, and it'll be read on the show. I mean, every other word out of his mouth is that. <laughs> Gosh. I'm a stand-in for the listener. I'm like, come on, guys, just get to the content. Enough about these wings. Enough about this brisket that you're about to talk about. Oh, i got to talk about the brisket. Yeah. Habanero. Oof, it sounds spicy. But thank you, dear listener, for reminding me of the brisket. Uh, We're probably about five minutes in, and I've resorted to answering my own questions. This is (laughs) a a strong start for the episode, DJ. I like it. I smoked brisket for the first time in months yesterday. And... I did two briskets at once. I figure, go big or go home, I'm going to smoke $70 of meat at once. And if I mess it up, then I'm out a lot of money. But if I make it work, then it's a feast for the ages. And DJ, I'm happy to say it turned out to be a feast for the ages. My brisket turned out to be delicious and mouthwateringly moist. When barbecue terms, it's good for the meat to be moist. It was, oh, so good. And then I had more of it today. I'm going to turn some of it into a chili in the next two days. It is the meat that keeps on giving. 
it sounds like you had the warm weather that we just had uh, on this side of the country. So enjoy that because uh, your day of reckoning is coming. Well, it was in the 30s, and I did have a heater by my feet. Oh, okay. (laughs) uh, The grill, it was my first time grilling and smoking in colder temperatures. And uh, the grill stood up well. It is a Traeger Texas Elite, so I had been reading about cooking in winter temperatures, but the grill was a champ. It did great. Now, that is a grill. That's a great grill. Uh, I've had some little moments with it, some little explosions here and there, maybe. For legal reasons, that's a joke. Um... But it's once you get the hang of it, it's a good time. Now, one thing to mention while this is our 13th episode, anytime I hear the number 13, I think of that roller coaster at Alton Towers, 13. Dear listener, if you don't know what I'm talking about, look it up, 13, Alton Towers. You can do an RCDB, do it online somewhere. Perhaps the most overhyped coaster in history. And, and hear me out and tell me what you think of this. I think it's appropriate for our 13th episode, considering the name 13. Alton Towers, a park in England, when they open any new roller coaster, for quite a while they've done this secret weapon um, sort of uh, publicity around their rides or marketing around it, hyping up their coasters, that it, some secret weapon. For instance, on Oblivion, we had the world's first dive coaster, I believe, uh, Air, world's first flying coaster, or at least I believe it was Europe's first flying coaster. So there's always something involved with their secret weapon. 13, they would not tell anybody what exactly it did. You had to ride to figure out what was going to happen on this ride. And this was the first time that a coaster had done a dropping track section where the track itself fell and connected to a new piece of track below. And we talk about that in some previous episodes. But other than that, this ride was just a family ride. Um, At least it rode like a family ride. The theming was was very dark, uh, very gothic almost. Um, it kind of makes me jealous of uh, parks over in England and over in Europe. They seem to go a little bit darker with their themes. I want to experience that someday. But what do you think, Chris? Was that an overhyped coaster from what you've seen? Because other than that, it's just a normal family-style ride. Well, DJ, you've mentioned it. Alton Towers goes to extreme lengths to generate hype for their new big projects. You think of the Smiler. They had projections on Big Ben in London of that Smiler logo. And for in Thorpe Park, this, this is a Merlin thing, the company that operates and owns these parks in England as well as around the world. For Darren Brown's Ghost Train, they had this stunt on the tube or the subway, the gap, whatever they call it in England, where they had these sort of twin characters that would just walk around the subway down there being creepy and all that. Um, I don't know if they saw a return on that particular one, but you think back to the Smiler, they had flocks of sheep that they had the Smiler logo painted onto. And they just do so such bizarre things to generate hype for these new additions, and I'm a fan of it. Even though I've never been to Alton Towers and I have no idea when I will be able to get there, it gets me hype, and if they're not doing it to get one guy who has made his 13th podcast episode hype, I, I don't know who they'd be doing it for at this point. Um, <laughs> but for, for in all seriousness, 13, it was, you, you said it, mainly a kiddie coaster. It's set with that drop track section and that dark theming. I think that maybe the expectations that they built up for 13 were probably more than what they delivered. But 
Alton right, Towers right. already has so much. I think their fans and the people that visit Alton Towers could maybe spot them this one instance where they over-promised and under-delivered instead of the inverse, which is what we always try to do both in the industry and in service delivery as, as a whole. We under-promise and over-deliver in practically anything that you attempt to do when you're talking about service and customer service and in rides and guest services, everything. Don't promise everything. Just promise a little bit and then over-deliver so that people are delighted and that they're even more than satisfied than if they would have been if you said, all right, here's the POV, this is what it's going to do. It's going to be a little ride, but it's going to have a few tricks up its sleeve. They went a different method with 13, and it's hard to say if it paid off because I do not have the attendance figures for the years surrounding 13's edition for Alton Towers. But, like I said, I am a fan of all the crazy stuff they do over there. And I'm a fan of the theming. I do hope to one day ride it, and I will enjoy it. But something that came up when we're talking about 13 and the good luck or bad luck associated with the number. And happy to be here on our 13th episode. So before we get into what we're going to be talking about today, let's just do that quick review about reviews, that is. We're going to review the procedures about you leaving a review for us. Like we said a little bit earlier, for Corkscrew Convos, if you want to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and you give it five stars, that review will then be read aloud on an episode of Corkscrew Convos, and you, dear listener, will get a shout-out. It's a simple transaction. You leave a review, it gets read, you get a shout-out. How does that sound, DJ? That sounds incredible to me. Like you said, this is the easiest way to get on the show. You can listen to our sporadic, our wide-ranging audience that is truly worldwide, and it's your opportunity to hear your digital username be shouted to the heavens through the digital airwaves. So leave the review, and honestly, leave us your honest review. We'll read it. We'll tell you what we think. You'll get the shout-out. Very simple. We look forward to hearing those reviews, and we look forward to seeing those reviews. And, of course, we look forward to, hopefully saying those reviews on air. Yes, as we've said in previous episodes, as long as you make it that five-star review, you can say what you want in the comment section. Well, and that being said, Corkscrew Convos, cleared for dispatch. Let's dive in. So, DJ, it is now my turn to ask this question to you. What's going on? Uh, not much. Uh, just kind of hanging out and, uh, you know, really excited for next year. Thank you. This has been another Corkscrew Convo. Uh, okay. <laughs> that was my, th that was my shtick. <laughs> but you can have it. I guess you... Just kidding. I thought I would flip it on you. One thing I do want to talk about and bring up uh, is something that you alerted me to uh, earlier today and something I never thought about, but something I'm, I'm also passionate about. And I'm glad to see a solution around this issue. That issue being transportation from MCO, the Orlando International Airport in Orlando, Florida, of course, to Disney World and its attractions, its hotels, its shopping, everything, its parks from MCO Airport itself. We do have news that in 2022, 
we will see official movement on this. We will see the completion, I should say, of a rail line, passenger rail, from the airport to Disney Springs. Now, this has been in the work for many years. Uh, this is with a company that's uh, it's fairly new company from, from what we understand, um, actually out of Florida. It is the largest uh, private passenger rail system uh, in over a century. This is Brightline, a completely private uh, funded endeavor. Um, most of their rail line, if not all of it actually, I believe, is all based in Florida. But uh, with the agreement with Disney, Brightline is going to, to do the appropriate uh, government contracts, the appropriate permits, obtain all of that to construct a station and new line that will go from MCO to Disney Springs. And that means you will now be able to access Disney Springs and the rest of the Disney properties, which are extremely close by from the airport, eliminating those other ways you would get to the parks. So most people would either rent a car from Enterprise or Alamo or something along those lines. Uh, maybe they would get a Lyft or an Uber, which is what I normally do. Um, but if you look at that same distance from MCO to Disney Springs, on Uber, it's going to be anywhere from $28 to $98. Or if you're on Lyft, which is my preferred method, anywhere from $35 to $120. And that's only one way. So to get from Disney Springs back, that's another charge. So you're looking at $70 round trip. Um, that's almost a full day ticket at some of the Disney parks, um, or at least an, another attraction in Orlando. So that's definitely something to think about. And remember, um, as you go up, the more people you need in that vehicle, that price increases. So something to think about. But what's also exciting is they're going to be adding in the future two new stops to this line, uh, which will be two ports for Disney Cruise Line. Uh, the port just outside of Cape Canaveral and the port closest to Miami as well, Port Miami. Uh, this is, in my opinion, the worst part about traveling to the Orlando parks is the transportation from the airport to the parks. And that to say, it's not that bad. Um, but if I were to pinpoint one thing that I don't enjoy doing out of everything I do when I travel to Orlando, it's that transportation from the airport to the parks or whatever I'm doing. I've rented a car before. I've driven my own car. I have used Uber and Lyft. I've carpooled with friends. Um, even carpooling with friends, it just takes so long. So to have this route directly from the airport to Disney Springs, I'm also really curious how long it's going to take, uh, because there is some conversation as well of folks saying, well, this is a, a great opportunity for those layovers. Someone who might not have even been interested in the parks or maybe is a business traveler, uh, you can now jump over to Disney Springs, eat the food there, uh, enjoy all that Disney Springs has to offer the better shopping, and make your way back to the airport for your flight, your connecting flight to wherever you're going. You know, that's an interesting element that I hadn't previously considered on just making it convenient to pop in and out of the international airport to Disney Springs point to point and then getting back there if you have maybe like a 12-hour layover. That's it's very interesting and I don't know, I would definitely prefer riding on a train to being in a car. I think that's a method of transportation that unfortunately in the United States it's been lobbied against and it has been torn out these miles and miles of railways that we had at the turn of the century, uh, we have become a nation that relies on roads and that has allowed the nation to be what it is today, but it has also really cut out the opportunity for using rails. And so this, uh, this thing that we're seeing now in a high-speed rail in Florida, it's a decently short 
length of track because, I mean, you're going from South Florida to the airport to Disney, and it's maybe, hopefully, a proof of concept. And if people see that, oh, this rail is profitable and this rail is doing its thing in Florida and this is a privately funded and operated opportunity, maybe we could see different rail opportunities sprouting up across the country. I'm a bit of a nerd when it comes to that sort of thing, so I think about that a lot. I, I don't know, DJ. I, I hope that this leads to more across the country, not only in tourist areas, but in areas that just make sense, like connecting San Diego to Seattle with a high-speed rail and stops in the major cities. That would be delightful. You know, traveling internationally, that's one of my favorite things, is using rail systems and public transit when it's so not only readily available, but also taken care of and extremely inexpensive. And even when I go to bigger cities, I enjoy in the United States using their metros and their their subway systems. And so, like you said, I agree with you. I think that's very, very uh, a good idea for this park to initiate, and hopefully others do it as well. And I think it gives another reason for folks to maybe reconsider that flight into Sanford Airport, where you have some of the budget airlines like uh, Allegiant, I believe, and Frontier flies out of there as well, I believe. Maybe it's only Allegiant. I could be wrong. Um, But that's an airport uh, just under an hour away from Orlando, but it's still a lengthy drive, about 45 to 50 minutes, and it's a little bit difficult to get to. Uh, There, you're definitely renting a car. So now that I know I can go to MCO, take a train right to the parks, might not even be interested in those budget airlines because... I don't have to rent a car at all now. I can put that money somewhere else. Right. It is going to shake up, if it works and if it's implemented, it is going to shake up how people plan their vacations, uh, at least for a lot of people. Definitely for me. Um, that being said, I've only been to Orlando twice, <laughs> ever, so it's not like I have very much experience uh, being transported around Orlando, but it's a... Uh, It's definitely something that I'm going to keep a close eye on and hope that it comes to fruition because, like you said, this plan in whatever form has been in the works for years. The plans have changed. They've been canceled. They've been revived. Hopefully now with Brightline, this is something that is going to be legitimate and this is something that's going to be working for both tourists and whatever other people that visit Orlando. It's pretty much just tourists, but hopefully it's going to be something that really works and we'll see more of in the future. I like it. Next time someone goes to Orlando, we need to do a time challenge. Just see how long it takes to get somewhere in whatever form of transportation we choose. Challenge accepted. Well, Chris, what's going on on your neck of the woods? Or should I say your side of the news? Okay, Al Roker. Well, we talked about Orlando, (laughs) Florida, and the Disney parks there and whatever else, but let's take our high-speed train. I'm buckled up. All right, we're in there. We're heading west. We're passing Texas. Sir, may I interest you in something from the trolley? Oh, sorry, we've already arrived in California. Sorry about that. Ah. You know, that's a really high-speed rail. (laughs) Wow. Well, in Disneyland, in Anaheim, California... There has been new information released from Disney about the newest iteration of their Snow White ride, which is now called Snow White's Enchanted Wish. Uh, This is the latest update. 
the ride itself has been rebuilt many times in different forms. It was originally an opening day attraction. Um, it was called Snow White and Her Adventures until 1981 when it closed for the new Fantasyland refurbishment of uh, when the Fantasyland section was pretty much completely rebuilt, including all of the rides there, um, opening up in 1983. And in that change, they made it a little less scary because it was apparently a very scary and graphic ride. And there are YouTube videos from some pretty prominent channels that have broken down what their ride experience used to be like and the changes that they made. So, dear listener, I would encourage, if you are curious, go take a look on YouTube. And you might see some pretty interesting breakdowns of the history and the legacy of the Snow, the Snow White ride at Disneyland. When it opened, as with all of the Fantasyland classic rides right behind the castle, when you would ride them from 55 to 81, you wouldn't see the main characters that the rides were named after. And DJ, do you know why that is? I would assume it was just too difficult to make them look realistic or similar enough, so they decided we don't want to ruin a child's imagination, so why include it? We don't want to ruin, like you know, what they think it should look like. And if you imagine seeing Snow White on the screen and you use your imagination when you're playing as Snow White or something, then you see this terrible botched, you know, some sort of wax figure, it might have frightened the children. Well, DJ, that was a very heartfelt response, but unfortunately it was not correct. If, uh, if you look at old movies and videos of... Disneyland characters, like the walk-around meet-and-greet characters, especially Mickey and Minnie Mouse, they had some terrifying, absolutely terrifying iterations of their costumes where it was like a, a, a big mouse head, but then like a black leotard, and it just, it didn't look right. And there were other iterations where there was some padding here, but not padding there, and it was just like a, a very scary creature. So Disney didn't have a problem with giving their best shot at what they think the characters <laughs> look like in real life. Um, but the reason why, the reason why Snow White and all the other Fantasyland rides did not have their title characters in the rides was because you were the title character. If you were riding Snow White and her adventures in that little ah. minecart, that's because you were Snow White going through all the little scenes in her story. The same with huh. Peter Pan... And Mr. Toad and Alice in Wonderland, a few years later, you were those characters. So that's why you weren't seeing them in front of you. It turns out that premise did not work for the general public. And for good reason. If you ride Snow White, the ride, you want to see Snow White. <laughs> so they did shortly change that. And by the time the new Fantasyland expansion happened in the early 80s, they had really changed that. But there were some holdovers of experiences, especially with Snow White, where they changed the ride name to uh, Snow White's Scary Adventures in the beginning of New Fantasyland in 83. It was still a ride that really had narrative problems. And it was something that, like... If you had just seen the movie and then you go ride the ride, you could sort of piece it together. But really, it just didn't make sense. And even all the way up until early 2020, 
the ride just didn't make sense because you'd be going through the cave here and then, oh, now we're in the dungeon, now we're in the forest. Now there's this rock falling and then you burst through the door at the end and there's a ta-da sound effect and you see happily ever after written on the wall and that was the end. And if you were to have waited by the exit of Snow White's Scary Adventures up until early 2020, when people were exiting, they'd just have a blank expression because, why did we ride that? Or there'd be a screaming kid because even though they turned down the scare factor on this particular attraction, they toned down the, the dungeon just a little bit, um, it still scared kids pretty reliably. And so that was something that they really made an effort to adjust in creating this new iteration of it called Snow White's Enchanted Wish. You know, that's all very interesting. And the scariness aspect kind of takes me back to the Alien ride, um, which was, of course, um, Stitch's Breakout, I believe, or something similar. Stitch's Great Escape. Um, Stitch's Great Escape, um, which is what I experienced. But I remember when I was younger, uh, a family member of mine had some sort of free VHS that was sent to them. As some sort of, you know, enjoy Disney, you can call and get the free tape. Um, I think it's because they were thinking about going to Disney. I remember watching it and being fascinated with this alien ride. And now you have all these stories of these children screaming in terror mm -hmm. and having a terrible time. And you makes you wonder, just like with Snow White's Scary Adventures, and I understand it's less scary since 94, but now how they let it go on for so long, I, I don't understand how they didn't respond. And perhaps it's also a budget issue, but uh, I find all of that extremely interesting, especially as someone who totally forgot that this ride even existed. Well, with the Magic Kingdom version, they lost their Snow White Scary Adventures Dark Ride for the Seven Dwarves Mine Train. A pretty good trade-off in my mind, but <laughs> not an option at Disneyland. So they have definitely... We, we've seen some pictures from the blog post and the video that Disney has put out, but here is something that, here are some changes that I think we're going to see when they finally do have a POV video when people are riding it. Um, I think they're probably going to add that narrative re resolution that they didn't have earlier, um, especially at the end. You don't really know what was happening. Uh, you sort of see rain and you see a rock moving, but of course they're not going to show the evil queen and the rock becoming well acquainted, I think is a safe way to say that, but it has to have some sort of resolution. And so I think they're going to add that because they did mention they're going to be all new scenes and they say enhanced story details. That's Disney speak for we're going to fix it. <laughs> I think. <laughs> um, and I think also there's probably going to be less focus on the dungeon and the dark forest and the evil queen and more on the mine and the dwarves and snow white. Um, I, they did release a, a video section, at least of snow white dancing with the dwarves. Um, it's not an audio animatronic figure. It's just a, a static figure that spins and bobs a little bit. And I do like how they're adding that version of a figure instead of a modern audio animatronic from Disney, because then it would look out of place in a ride like this Fantasyland classic that's been around since 55. Uh, that being said, they have added some projections and some special effects that might look a little jarring if you're just riding and you see static figures here and there and then a crystal clear projection of the dwarves walking over a log. Um, we've seen sure. that in a video that they've released as well. 
And it sort of is similar to in the Haunted Mansion, where you have audio animatronics and you have all these animations in it, but they are animations to a certain level. Then you get the Hatbox Ghost that you roll by, and he's a fluid figure, crystal clear projections, and he does look a little out of place. Now that's a different discussion for a different time, and I am glad that the Hatbox Ghost is now a part of the Haunted Mansion again at Disneyland, but it just leaves you saying, huh, that's new, <laughs> instead of looking like <laughs> it was always supposed to be there. And I think they are they have made an adjustment for that, at least when it comes to the Snow White figure. Now, it might be just a budget cut as to why they didn't add an audio animatronic of Snow White instead of just this figure that spins, but I would like to think that they are acknowledging the legacy of the attraction and putting something in the attraction that's going to look like it's always been there. Even though this attraction has changed a whole lot since it first opened more than 65 years ago now, it's going to be a net gain, I think, when people ride Snow White's Enchanted Wish. It's not going to be as scary anymore. They're going to fix the, the story problems. I'm excited for it. I mean, when you think about Snow White, this was an attraction in Fantasyland at Disneyland that probably had the shortest lines out of any of the classic rides, and that includes Pan, Pinocchio, uh, Snow White, Mr. Toad, and Alice in Wonderland. Uh, these Fantasyland classic dark rides that are similar ride vehicles, but uh, varying levels of technology. Snow White was always the least popular one, at least the last several years. Because if you think about Disneyland and the people that visit Disneyland, it is in many ways a locals park. So in having this plus attraction that's been there forever, but now it's a little different, this is going to make Snow White's Enchanted Wish probably the most popular Fantasyland classic attraction, maybe slightly under pan in terms of wait times and demand. Um, but it's it's going to make an attraction that would maybe hardly get a 20-minute wait on a lot of days. It's probably going to have a 30- to 40-minute wait, uh, depending on whatever procedures Disneyland opens with when it does reopen. So to really sum all this up, this is, I mean, you're excited for this. You would say this this needed to happen even? Uh, yes, it did need to happen, I would say, because like we said, it was even though they had made it less scary, in the years past, it was still scary for little kids. And you think about Snow White and all these Fantasyland classics. These are rides that practically anyone can ride. Babes in arms can ride as long as they have someone holding them. Uh, children on the laps of their adults and their parents can ride. So it needs wow. to be a ride experience that can welcome all of the people that are now able to ride it. Because you look at Disneyland... There are a lot of rides that have height requirements, but some of them don't, and those that don't need to be very welcoming to a general audience, and up until now, I wouldn't say that Snow White was one of those attractions that really welcomed a general audience in terms of thematic topics. Well, and I just say that as someone who has not experienced this ride, kind of really forget it even exists. Um, sounds like now I'll have to focus more on it, and uh, I don't know, maybe we'll get you to break down all the real changes on this ride. Yes, yeah, so when we do finally get a POV 
Uh, let's revisit it. We'll break it down scene by scene. Maybe I'll talk about the changes uh, and then my take on them. <laughs> now, sure, I'm no Imagineer or anything like that, but I like to think that I can add some commentary that is useful now and again. Uh, so that is Snow White's Enchanted Wish, a new take on an old attraction. DJ, what else you got? Well, let's go back to Orlando and let's focus on uh, one of my actually favorite parks at SeaWorld Orlando. I uh, love their collection of rides down there. And uh, they are doing fireworks on New Year's Eve this year. But the main key here is they have figured out how to do this in their own terms. And from what it looks like we're seeing, doing it safely. Uh, how do they? How do folks watch these fireworks or pyro as you insiders might say some of you sound techs and light techs we know you're out there uh some different things to consider of course they have limited park capacity with everything that's been going on um but also frequent sanitation information campaigns about staying socially distanced even giving out some flyers it seems like or little pamphlets space seating areas this is all old news but there's some new news with this Yes, the new things that they're doing to make these fireworks shows possible on a day that's, I mean, projected to be as busy as New Year's Eve, they're doing a few things like multiple viewing options. They're going to have three different fireworks shows at 6.30, 8 o'clock, and 9.30 in the evening. And they're also going to have new and additional seating areas with designated viewing of these fireworks. And DJ... Well, that's huge. The things that these are doing... This is working to manage and spread out the demand because you think about the limited capacity and the things that they're already doing to operate the park safely. They have a cap on people in the park. So it's not like they're going to have uh, maybe situations where people are coming in late just for the fireworks. I might be wrong about that, but I, I don't think that people are coming in for the fireworks on an opportunity in 2020 because, I mean... I assume that on New Year's Eve, SeaWorld Orlando, as with many of the other Orlando parks, will hit capacity relatively early in the day. And I think it's going to be something where if you leave, your readmittance is not guaranteed. So in working to spread out the demand, having these three different showtimes of fireworks and designated new viewing areas, they are making it possible for the people that are in the park to enjoy the fireworks show, but spread out and safely. And that's big, DJ. That's really big. That is huge. I mean, and, and it makes sense. You know, we have a limited number. Um, so why not keep these folks in the park as long as we can? Uh, buy some additional food and beverage, maybe an extra trip through uh, certain gift shops. Uh, and of course, you're wanting to stay in the park longer and enjoy time on rides. But this would really be appealing to me. Um, I would definitely be a 930 person on this. I get to experience the fireworks twice without really... You know, they're kind of in the background and, and not being intentional about it. But then you know at 930, um, most of that crowd is gone, especially after seeing the fireworks shows once, if not twice, already in the day. Or in the evening, I should say. Right. And there is one more thing that they're going to be doing that I was very interested to read about. Uh, they're going to have a designated exit flow from the park to the parking lot. Instead of just using what they've used previously, where they have a main entrance area and a main exit area, they're having a new exit path that goes behind Bayside Stadium directly to the parking lot. I think it might also go through some of their catered event spaces as well. 
this is ingenious, or maybe not ingenious. I don't, I don't know if I should give them that credit, but it's really smart. It's something that a lot of parks should be considering if they are open right now and if they are having some degree of crowds that do need to be managed, having designated entrance areas and exits, not just in the park as a whole, but in each shop, in each attraction, where you are really managing the crowds so that people are going in one direction in uh, one particular path. And in doing this, it's a really a way to keep people safe if they are having some degree of crowds that they're managing at the park. And having one-way traffic, DJ, if it's properly implemented and enforced, if you have cast members in the pathways directing people, enforcing the one-way traffic, giving people directions if they're lost in the sauce, which can easily happen if you have one-way traffic maybe around a hub at Disneyland or in different areas of different parks, it can be overwhelming because people are trying to get to an attraction just across the way, but they don't know how to get there because there are ropes up and signs up and everybody's going in one direction. It's a band, by the way. If they, I thought that the first time you said it. <laughs> yes. If they have cast members, or I guess team members is what they call them there, that are directing people, they've got the little lightsaber things that they're actively encouraging people to follow the flow of traffic. That is a way to continue to keep people safe. Uh, because if you keep the order and you keep the movement, people are able to keep their distance and keep their distance from other groups more easily because there's less randomness in people's motions, in people's movement around the pathways. If you think about your group going in a straight line, at least relative to you, and other groups around you that are going in the same general direction, but maybe varying just a little bit, it's easier for your group to keep their distance than if there were people coming at you in your relative path or crossing your path. Um, and doing one-way traffic it makes it possible for this to be a safe way to exist in the park. I don't know if I'm rambling a little bit, but the nerd in me came out a little bit when I read about their new dedicated exit flow, and it got me thinking. Because when it comes to SeaWorld Orlando, I have never been to that park to enjoy the park, really. I, I was... I had been there once as a very unique experience where I was just in Sesame Street land and that was it. And then I was gone. <laughs> but I did oh, use that sorry. same pathway that went from the parking lot, actually, through the catered event spaces down to Sesame Street land and then back. Um, and so I sort of have an idea in my head of where they will be directing people when it comes to exiting the park. It doesn't need to be too immersive either. I mean, this is a park that has some awesome theming, um, but it's not like, oh, if we take you in this back area, you know, it's really going to ruin your day to exit. Yeah, if I'm not mistaken, it did take, that particular path did take people past a little bit of construction. And now I'm not sure if that was just random construction or construction for an alleged at least at the time, a 2022 coaster that we've heard little things about here and there. I'm not sure, but there were definitely construction walls up in that path direction from behind Bayside Stadium to the parking lot. Again, I don't know a ton about SeaWorld Orlando, um, at least when it comes to the in-park experience, but I was excited to hear that they were really making conscious flow changes to the in and out of everything. In and out is a burger chain, DJ. 
Uh, <laughs> I love In-N-Out. It's a superior burger chain, second yeah. only to Five Guys. I mean, they're both good. Um, when it comes to burgers, let me get on a tangent for a moment. Burger chains. The best burger restaurant that I ever had. Now, if you go to like a fancy restaurant and you get a burger, I mean, you get Red Robin, you're going to get a good burger. But on Broadway in, uh, in Nashville, Tennessee, there was a dive bar called Paradise Park. And yes, that is a name that sounds like a theme sounds park. Like a Jimmy Buffett or an, sort yeah, of or restaurant. Maybe an amusement park or a little Margaritaville-esque ripoff restaurant. Mm-hmm. That's what I was thinking. And there was live music there. Their, their bacon cheeseburger was so delicious. And unfortunately, that restaurant has since closed and that building has been gentrified and redeveloped. But that was just such a good burger. And I do miss Paradise Park. Do you have anything to I, say before we I, close the burger tangent? All I will say is I cannot speak upon uh, these one-off restaurants because um, I just think they're always good. Um, I will say if we are just talking about burger chains, places where I can go to many different cities and have the same product, it's always Five Guys for me, without a doubt. Well, I like Five Guys, but DJ, I, I'm curious to hear if you've heard of this chain. Um, it's been around for a while, I think. Um, they have now with this particular chain, they focus on flame grilled patties instead of maybe a flat top that a lot of burgers are cooked on. Um, they're right, the superior way to cook a burger. Yes, Go ahead. it's flame grilled. They have lots of different options. Uh, their signature burger. Um, I'm, tr- I'm struggling to remember the name of it. I mean, it was a big burger. It was a Whopper of a burger. Um, oh. They had chicken fries, Well, this too. has been another corkscrew <laughs> convo. Oh, dear listener, I'm talking about Burger King, but I had a pretty... I lived, <laughs> I lived literally right next to a Burger King. You did. For over three years. And I went into Burger King maybe twice. I <laughs> hate Burger King. I cannot stand it. Oh, okay. Let, let's close up this burger tangent. I've had my fun. We've just lost our potential Burger King sponsorship. But honestly, if they came to me, I would say I don't care. I, I only, I'm only interested in talking to five guys. Sorry. Have it your way at Burger King. And the creepy king comes in. He's not creepy. He's classic. He looks like the Snow White figure in Snow White's Enchanted Wish. Has that same waxy facial expression <laughs> that doesn't move and his eyes just follow you yeah now that's like the haunted mansion see we're tying it back into theme parks little by little um here we go speaking of burger king there used to be a burger king in alton towers uh that being a theme park in england of the united kingdom uh we still don't have a british listener that's why i tied that in there i just think it's weird that we haven't had a british listener yet well i mean it is what it is. Hopefully we'll get one someday. Uh, I think I did know about that Burger King, actually, uh, over in England. It's funny you brought that up. I was thinking about that from our previous conversation about British theme parks. Well, I was just trying to tie it in to uh, really reach out to the British listeners. But, again, I think <laughs> we should give up on that and go to our next news story as we close up this tangent. And that is the park at Oa, or the Oa Resort as a whole. They have just signed the deal 
that the Gulf Coast Hot Air Balloon Festival is now going to be held at Oa. Yes, this is uh, perhaps one of the biggest parks in Alabama. Of course, you have Alabama the Splash Adventure. Uh, you've got those that park and that 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 combo there. But uh, the park, as it's affectionately called in Oa, is a big deal. Um, it is located next to a casino, I believe. Is that correct? I think so. I think it is. We might need to fact check on that. I'm pretty sure it's next to a casino or is very close or maybe a casino uh, sort of conglomerate company owns the park. Uh, But there's a lot of Zamperla rides. I'm pretty sure it's all Zamperla. Uh, They even have the Zamperla Thunderbolt coaster uh, that you'd find over Coney Island. I believe it's an exact clone. Um, but this is a huge deal. Um, a lot of parks will find events to sort of drive demand, bring people in long-term, make a tradition out of it even. And so for uh, the park at Owa to be hosting this, uh, this is pretty substantial for them. I can't think of anything huge that the park at Owa does that would make me want to go there other than, you know, it's a park that's on your bucket list. Um, but especially for locals and, and now, uh, of course, regional, but... Uh, for the entirety of the Gulf Coast and all hot air balloon enthusiasts around, this will be a huge deal. May 6th through the 9th in 2021 is the slated date for this. Yeah, so this is something that's really going to bring in people to the whole resort. They're going to be eating in the restaurants, they're going to be using the event space, shopping in their stores, and visiting their park. Um, I think the next three years at least are confirmed to be at OWA now, and it's a great idea to really drive repeat business, maybe it'll become a tradition with Oa hosting the Gulf Coast Hot Air Balloon Festival. And we have one more piece of news. This one kind of hits close to me, uh, only because uh, we can touch on it here in a minute. Um, I'll leave a little bit of suspense as I bring this in, actually. We're we're going to Japan, Fujikyu Highland, a park that is probably at the very top of my bucket list. I know lots of folks that have been there have enjoyed the park, uh, but we're looking at a roller coaster they have. This ride is Fujiyama. Fujiyama was, I believe, one of the longest and perhaps tallest and even fastest roller coasters in the world at one point. Um, could be totally wrong on that, but I believe it was. Um, this ride, though, um, is very old ride as compared to you know some more modern day roller coasters. Um, but they are building a tower, an observation tower, inside of the first turnaround of this massive roller coaster. I say this hits close to home and close to the heart because uh, since June, I've been working very slowly. Cannot speak it yet, but I'm learning Japanese. I love the Japanese culture. I uh, love the people from Japan I've met. Uh, Love so much about the country. They have great theme parks. Um, And so as I'm learning more about the language, uh, this was great news to hear at a park I so very much want to go to someday. Uh, There's going to be an observation deck, uh, a skywalk as well. Um, with also a tall slide that takes you down. Uh, It has a very intriguing scaffolding design, though. That's very interesting, and we wonder why. Um, And I believe, Chris, this has to do with some structures needing to be earthquake-proof. Could be wrong on that, Um, but um, I believe that's why that scaffolding design is there. And dear listener, you can look this up. Just look up Fujiyama Tower. Um, you'll be able to find this uh, some somewhere on Google. Um, but the structure is very uh, pleasing to look at, I think. Yes, I think you're onto something with that earthquake-proof uh, restriction that they probably have to meet. Uh, if you think about roller coasters in Japan, uh, they have, they're required to have catwalk, walkable catwalk along pretty much the entire length of the ride. And it's interesting, if you look at 
the few Togo roller coasters, Togo being a Japanese manufacturer of roller coasters um, up until the early 2000s, the coasters that they built in North America also had that catwalk along the entire ride because that's just how they built coasters. That being said, you don't see that catwalk on many modern coasters, especially at that park. Uh, they've got an SNS free spin that doesn't have it. Ijanaika, uh, their 4D spinning coaster, or 4D uh, roller coaster, doesn't have it. Same with Dodo Dampa, their launch coaster. Um, Takabisha, at one point, the world's steepest roller coaster. A lot of them don't have that catwalk. Yes, they have it in specific areas that a coaster would have anywhere else. Normally you have a catwalk for two reasons, maintenance or also emergency evacuation. So if you're on a chain lift, for example, most of the time you'll see stairways and walkways, a launch section, brake runs, even perhaps places where a coaster could valley or stall, you'll see that. Um, but, and I could be wrong, Chris, but I feel like I see this in mainly older rides, uh, late 90s and prior in Japan. I think there may have been some legislation maybe that was passed not requiring these catwalks on amusement rides yeah that wouldn't surprise me i know that roller coaster technology has definitely advanced and changed um, even in the last decade or so so yeah it wouldn't surprise me at all but also i bet that stems from a cost perspective it must be extremely expensive to on some of these old togo rides uh, to include catwalks um, all over the track. Yes, it definitely increases the amount of steel, the amount of labor and welding in construction. Um, so I, I do think that they were probably relieved when they didn't have to build uh, all these new coasters with those same restrictions. But this is really a, a very smart way to add you know, a new high visibility attraction. You don't have to expand into any new footprint, you know, clear any land or anything, or not too terrible at least, without any new attraction associated costs. We're adding to the structure, of course, but we're also using that land or using that area that already exists. So I'll be curious to see if other parks follow. Maybe this is a one-off thing that they thought would be a good idea. And um, we'll see what happens. And as we know, especially to coaster nerds like us, you don't need a roller coaster even to, to add something special to your park. And again, for us coaster nerds, being able to get that close to the track, being able to be that high up is going to be really special. Yeah, and that slide, you're probably going to reach some wild <laughs> speeds on that slide towards the end of it. Would love to experience it. And hopefully as my Japanese gets better, I'll have that opportunity someday. Well, it sounds like a plan. Well, I believe it's time to hit the brakes. Oh, but we're not done yet. Yeah, that's right. This is a point in the show where we ask you to ask us questions. If you have listener questions, be it things that you've just been thinking about, but you're not quite sure, or advice that you have, or really the best funnel cake that we've ever had. If you're curious about that, please do ask us that question, and we will include it in the show. We have many ways for you to ask that question and also just get in contact with us. Start a corkscrew conversation with us. Oh, uh, yeah. Be it on Twitter or Instagram, where we have the username Corkscrew Convos, and the handle is also Corkscrew Convos. That's the name of the show. It's the name of the username. And we also have an email, and that is corkscrewconvos at gmail.com. I wonder if we'll ever have corkscrew at convos.com. That would be next level. Or not .com. Something like .coaster. .ride. .roller. .ride. .roller. 
I like the way you're thinking. Okay. Uh, and if you're someone who hasn't already tuned us out when you hear end of show business, congrats. You're cool. You're great. Yeah. Uh, but also, you might want to subscribe. If you've been listening this long, if you've made it all the way to the end, you might as well subscribe. You've made it this far. And remember, subscription doesn't mean you're going to have to listen to us. It just puts us in a pool of your favorite podcasts where you can listen to us a bit easier. We appreciate it. It helps us out. So subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Spotify, whatever it might be. And consider even leaving a review on Apple. We'll read it out. Like we said, we'll give you a shout out on the show. We love reading reviews. We love to uh, to talk to our to our fans, and so it's an opportunity uh, for you to hear a mention, hear yourself on the show, and uh, get the fame that perhaps you deserve. Yes, I don't know about you, but there's nothing that quite gets me so thrilled as a shout out on a podcast. Do enjoy it. We've had some great times here. We love shouting out. Any question, we'll even read it. So it doesn't have to be a review. If you do have that question, we will read the question on air. If you want us to keep it anonymous, if you're a little embarrassed of your question, I understand that too. Sometimes I'm afraid to ask questions. Just let us know. We'll keep it anonymous and we'll we'll shout out to you in our hearts. You'll understand. So until next time, my name is Chris. My name is DJ. And this has been another Corkscrew Convo. Thanks for listening. Thanks, everyone. Thank mm-hmm. you.